Well, that is a great introduction to today's topic, contentment. Now, I'm sure everyone somehow in some weird way can relate to some parts of that video that we just saw. I mean, all of us get envious at times. Maybe you're a little envious right now of what Santa brought someone else this year. The kids got you socks again, didn't they? Aunt Betty brought you that fruitcake. Bless her heart. Contentment. You know, contentment means different things to different people. My wife and I were at Olive Garden last Friday, and we were enjoying the endless supply of soup, salad, and breadsticks. The waitress comes by, and she asks my wife if she would like another bowl. And my wife said, no, thank you. I'm content. And I'm looking at her, and she's got this little soup bowl in front of her. And the waitress asks me, and even though I'm full, I tell her to keep them coming. I wasn't content yet, so I kept eating. And I kept eating. I wasn't content until physically I was unable to eat anymore. So what does it really mean to be content? I'm going to give you four secrets today to contentment. Four things that can help you learn how to truly be content. No matter what your situation is right now, no matter where God has you at, you can learn to be content. So let's begin with Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. The Apostle Paul wrote this. It says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want, for I can do anything God asks me to do with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. So secret number one, you have to understand the power of contentment. You have to understand the power of contentment. See, God's a teacher. He's a teacher and he wants to teach us contentment. How do you think he's going to teach us contentment? Do you think he's going to teach us contentment by just giving us everything we want when we want it? Do you think it works that way? No. He teaches us contentment, Paul says, by the ups and the downs of life. Which is interesting. So through both of these situations, your ups and your downs, Paul says that's where we learn contentment, by the highs of our lives and by the lows of our lives. Remember who Paul is, okay? You're first introduced to Paul in the book of Acts. 
His name then is Saul, and he is a persecutor of Christians. He was their worst enemy until he came face to face with a resurrected Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And then he was instantly converted from a persecutor of Christians to a devoted Christ follower. And he changed his name to Paul. He went on to plant many churches. He performed numerous healings and miracles. People would just touch his garments and his handkerchiefs and they would receive healing. He brought a man that had died back to life. Paul became one of the most powerful teachers of the gospel, as well as writing over half of the New Testament. Sounds like a lot of highs to me. Sounds to me like Paul was the man. Seems like contentment would be easy. But when he wrote this, what we just read, Philippians, he was in prison. He was in that prison. He was down this set of stairs in this room. And not only was he rotting in a Roman prison, but he had already endured being stoned. And I don't mean that stuff that's legal in California. I mean rocks being thrown at him in an attempt to kill him. And the only reason they stopped was because they thought he was dead. He had a lot of lows. He was blinded at one point. He was scourged three times. It's a whipping. It's a lashing to inflict punishment and torture. He was shipwrecked three times. He endured hunger and thirst, sleepless nights, perils and hardships. And he says he is content in any situation. I mean, how is that possible? How many of us can say that we are content in any situation? None of us. Because as a society, we base our contentment on the highs. When things are going good, that's when we're content. When our bills are paid, when we got some money in our pockets, when our bellies are full. We sometimes base our contentment on what we have, how much we have acquired. You see, we're content if we have gained many things because that shows that we have been successful. But contentment cannot be based on how successful we have been with acquiring wealth. If you think you have to have more to be content, you are never going to be content. Contentment is not having more. Contentment is not having more. Some people are hard workers. Man, they are. Some people have a vision. 
Nothing is going to stop them from achieving what they want. Nothing. And that's their attitude. And their, the search for contentment may be in their business. And in this quest for building a better business, they may lose their family. So they've lost the better things to get the lesser things. That doesn't make sense to me. Can there be contentment in that? You know, some people achieve great success, great goals, but at what price? Sometimes they amass great fortune, but they live decades less. What could God have done in that person's life in those decades? Doesn't mean you shouldn't work. Doesn't mean you shouldn't strive for better things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. Man, you work hard for your money. You should be the best that you can be. You should do your job the best that you can. Continue to advance. You should work hard. You should push to get great grades so that you can get a higher education and you could be everything that you're capable of being. We just can't let our happiness be determined by getting or not getting. Because contentment lies not in what we have, but who we are. Now on the other end of the spectrum, contentment is not settling for less. It's not settling for less. You know, Paul didn't have great things in life. But he wasn't a settle for less kind of guy. He said, I keep on reaching. I press on. I strive towards what's ahead. And the truth of the matter is, some people don't try. They don't. Contentment for some people's laziness. Contentment for some people is doing nothing. We were never made to do nothing. We were never made to just exist. The laziness, the lack of drive, the settling for less, the just being okay, whatever happens, that's not contentment. You see, God wired each one of us in a different way. Some people are really good with their hands. Some people are really smart. And it's usually these gifts that kind of lead us down the career paths that we choose. I'm not the most intelligent person in here. You would think my six days of high school each week at Winchester, Monday through Saturday, would have prepared me for a higher education, but no. And you know, it's funny when, when I teach here on Sundays, Mikey... God bless him. He comes up to me in between services and he always lets me know what I've pronounced wrong so I can change it and correct it for the second celebration. But the point is, it's not what you're doing, but that you're doing it to the best of your ability. 
You're working hard at it. You're making the most out of whatever situation that you're currently in. You're giving it your best. And regardless of whether you're at a high, regardless of whether you're at a low, you can be content knowing that God has a much bigger plan for your life. Because contentment is trusting God for more. Contentment is trusting God for more. It's trusting God in any circumstance that you're in. Ephesians 3 verse 20 talks about this. It says, with God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything that we ask or imagine. You see... Paul found contentment in every situation, whether it was the highs or the lows that I shared with you earlier, because he trusted God. Not because of what Paul was doing. It was because of what God was doing. I mean, I'm sure Paul didn't enjoy every single situation that he was put in. But he trusted that God had a plan. He kept going. He kept doing what he knew that God wanted him to do. What God was leading him to do. And you have to trust God. You lost that job. You lost that relationship. That opportunity passed you by. You got to get over it. Sometimes God closes doors on purpose. He's got something better in store for you. You got to press on. You got to keep reaching. You got to keep striving towards what's ahead. You got to keep doing what you feel God is calling you to do. No matter what other people think, you don't settle for less. You trust God for more. You see, that's the first secret to contentment. That's the power of contentment. Second secret's this. You have to deal with the enemy of contentment. You have to deal with the enemy of contentment. If you're going to enjoy contentment, you have to deal with the enemy of contentment. And that enemy is comparison. Comparison. Galatians 6 verse 4 talks about this. And I lo- I'm going to read it from the Message Bible, the Message paraphrase. But it says, Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given. Then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Young girls, teenagers, you're always comparing yourselves to who's on TV, who's in the glamour magazines, and you think that that is what you need to look like. You're comparing yourselves to airbrushed photos, and then you're not happy with you. 
then you're not content with the way God made you. So many women think that they have to look like what's on the cover of these magazines that are in the checkout lines. And that's not real life. It's not hot. That's Hollywood there. I remember an interview that Brooke Shields did once. Brooke was a teenage model and an actress. And she said once that she can't even look like Brooke Shields. Because it's not real life. God was not having a bad day when he created you. God does not make mistakes. You were his masterpiece. You have been formed by his specifications. You know, that's one of the things that makes porn so dangerous. You shouldn't desire what isn't real. You start feeling that your spouse is lacking something or they start thinking that they're not good enough. And Satan loves it. He gets to ruin so many marriages because of comparison. You see, comparison takes the joy right out of your life. We've all seen it happen. Man, God's doing good things. And then you, all of a sudden you get your eyes on something else. Or you get your eyes on someone else. Man, you're thrilled with your job until you find out someone else is getting paid more to do the same job. Then you're not thrilled anymore. You're excited about the fact that God's making a difference in your life. Man, God's even using you to serve other people. And then you see someone else is getting more notice for the way that they're being used to serve. So we compare and then all the joy is gone. All the contentment is gone. And the danger of comparison is you let what other people have determine your happiness. And they may not even like what they have. They may not even be happy in their own life. One of the great verses about contentment in all the Bible, I think, is Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So you can be content in any circumstance, the ups and downs, as Paul was saying, because you have a love from God that's going to be with you in whatever circumstance you're in. In the ups and in the downs, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus told a parable once. It appears in Matthew chapter 20. It's entitled, The Parable of the Workers in the Vineyard. And it basically went like this. Some guys went out to work in a field. Owner of the field said, can you work for a day? I'll pay you $20. The guy said, yeah. 
Halfway through the day, it looked like the work wasn't going to get done. So at noon, he hired some other guys, and they came and helped. Still looked like the work wasn't going to get done. So he hired some other guys, and they came and worked for the last hour of the day. At the end of the day, it was time to pay up. So the guys who worked all day, he paid them first. Paid them $20. Then came the guys who worked half a day. He paid them $20. Then the guys who worked for one hour at the very end of the day, guess what he paid them? $20. So the guys that had worked the longest, they start grumbling. They say, well, this is not fair. This is not right. These guys over here worked half a day. And these guys over here worked one hour at the end of the day. We've been out in this scorching heat all day long, and we received the same pay. The landowner said, didn't you agree to work for $20? Don't I have the right to do whatever I want with my money? Are you envious because I'm generous? And the reason Jesus told this parable, it's a question about God and us. It's our attitude toward others and what God gives others. Jesus is asking you, are you envious because God is generous? I mean, are you upset when God blesses someone else in a different way than what he blesses you? I mean, we all get caught up in this. We all do. Envy over what God has given someone else, and it isn't fair. Man, I worked a lot harder than they did. It's not right for them to get that. I'm a lot more spiritual than they are. Why should they make more than me? I've got more education. I've got more understanding. I've got more experience. It's not fair. It's just not right. And the Bible says God lets the sun shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. The evil and the good on everybody in life. God sends the rain on everybody. God is a very generous God. So don't get caught up in comparison. Be thankful for what God has blessed you with. Cherish all the things that God has given you. Don't be envious of what God has given others. Don't compare yourself to other people because that takes the joy right out of your lives. That's the enemy of contentment and it has to be dealt with to be content. Here's the next secret to contentment. Carefully choose what you pursue. Carefully choose what you pursue. First Timothy chapter 6 verses 10 through 11. 
Say, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. You notice it doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of money. Also notice, it says some by longing for it have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's all about what you choose to pursue. What I pursue in life is going to cause certain results in life. Let me show you a video, a video of a pursuit, and you've got this car going by and the dog on the road, and the dog's going to chase the car because that's what dogs do. So the car goes by, dog chases car. You see, that's a great example of our lives right there. Certain things go by and they're exciting things. Man, they're good looking things. And we run after those things, but we don't get those things. And then when we don't get them, we come back to the beginning. And we're waiting in the same place. And when it comes by again, we think, well, there it is. And we chase after it again. You see, this is a parable of so many of our lives. I mean, what are you chasing after? It's like the dog chasing after the car. You know, one of two results is possible. Result number one, it could catch it. Result number two, it could not catch it. It's not rocket science, is it? I don't need Mikey to explain this one to me. There's two results that are possible. And both results are bad. They're both bad. If it doesn't catch the car, it's frustrated. If it catches the car, disaster. The problem is the dog is chasing the wrong thing because all the results are bad. What are you chasing? If you're chasing the wrong things, all the results are bad. Either you're frustrated if you don't get it, or it's disaster if you do get it. I gotta have that new car. I've gotta have it. I will not be happy if I don't get it. This is frustrating. I have to have it. Ah, oh, I got the new car. I can barely make this payment. I can't even afford to do anything else because of this payment. Or you say to yourself, I've gotta get my kids in that school. He or she got their kids in that school. I've got to get that house because my friend got that house in that neighborhood. Now I've got to get it. Or you're going, you want someone else's approval over something. See, you're going after something you're never going to get. 
and the result's either going to be frustration or disaster. So what are you chasing after? You know, the verse we just read, 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's telling us how to carefully choose what we pursue. So what should you pursue? If you go back to the scripture, you should pursue righteousness. That's what it's telling you. That's a right relationship with God and other people. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue perseverance, gentleness. You chase after those things because those are the things that really matter. A man went to a, pa went to a pastor one day for counseling. He was in the midst of a financial collapse. I've lost everything, he said. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your faith, the pastor replied. No, the man corrected. I, I haven't lost my faith. Well, then, said the pastor, I'm... Sorry to hear that you've lost your character. Well, I didn't say that. He said, I still have my character. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your salvation, said the pastor. Well, that's not what I said, the man objected. I've still got my salvation. Pastor thought about it. He said, you have your faith, your character, and your salvation. Seems to me you lost none of the things that really matter. You've got to carefully choose what you pursue. You see, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to live this kind of life, if I'm going to live this contentment life where I'm going to be content in whatever circumstance God has me in, where I'm not comparing myself with other people, where I'm going to carefully choose the things that I pursue, if I'm going to do this, I've got to apply one last secret. And it's the one that Paul talked about the most when he talked about the secret to contentment. Number four, I've got to rely on the strength of Christ. I've got to rely on the strength of Christ. How many people do you know who try to find their contentment in their wealth? They'll never find it. You can never have enough. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 says, Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which will soon be gone but their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment.
How many people do you know who are just waiting for that right circumstance? Man, I have to have that perfect circumstance and then I'm going to be content in life. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6 says it's better to be content with what little you have. Otherwise, you'll always be struggling for more. And that's like chasing the wind. You see, contentment is not found in circumstances. It's found in Christ. I've got to rely on Christ. I've got to trust Him for strength. See, that's how you can be fulfilled in whatever circumstance that you're in. Even when things are tough, you step up, you gear up, and you look up. You don't quit. You give it your best. Some of you would be amazed at what you could accomplish, what you could get through if you just gave it your best. I'm going to show you a short video here about giving it your best. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. Already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You gonna give me your best? I'm gonna give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right, let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Out of the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You gotta keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on. Keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. 
Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. Hours are burning. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach. Can I count on you? Yes. What is it, Jeremy? I weigh 160. your best you have to rely on the strength of Christ you know when Paul's situation wasn't the greatest when he was facing some of his toughest times some of his toughest trials he relied on the strength of Christ he knew he knew that God had a much bigger plan in store for him so he kept going he kept pushing Man, when you're facing a low, when you're facing a situation that's not what you wanted, it's not your ideal situation, it's not something that you would have chosen, you need to rely on God because God has a plan. To rely on Him means you have to trust Him. He has a plan for you. Make Him your passion and He will show you that plan. If you've given your life to Christ, 
You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have been equipped. You have been empowered. You have been anointed. Man, praise God for that. You have everything that you need to fulfill your destiny. Man, you're a child of God. God has breathed his life into you. You have been crowned with honor. You have been crowned with glory. Live that way. Man, trust in God. Stand up for God's truth. Even in a society that says it's okay to do this. A society that says it's okay to do that. Be that person that says, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to live this kind of life. I'm going to do what he says. That's what it means to rely on him. That's what it means to trust in him. Man, we're starting a new year. Hold that head up high. Hold it up and expect more this year. God didn't make you to settle for less. God didn't make you to give up. Don't compare yourself to others. Be content with who you are. Be content with how God made you. Be content with the situation God has you in, in His plan right now. One plus God equals everything. One plus God equals everything. You know, when you live your life like that, there is nothing that the economy can do to steal your contentment. There is nothing that the stock market can do to steal your contentment. There is nothing that your job, there is nothing that your boss there is nothing that whoever has hurt you in the past can do to steal your contentment. Because your contentment is in Jesus Christ. Philippians is what we started the teaching out with. Paul talks about how he's content no matter what the circumstance is. And then he ends it by telling us why he is content. For I can do anything God asks me to do with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. That is the secret to contentment. Let's stand for closing prayer. Dear God, God, you know there's a lot of people in here who are going through a tough time, people that are maybe going through a circumstance right now that's painful, that's confusing. God, we know that you are bigger than any obstacle. You are greater than any situation that we can face. God, we know you have a plan for each one of us, and this is a plan for good. It's a plan for us to be 
all that you created us to be. A plan for joy, a plan for happiness, a plan for contentment. God, allow us to be thankful, allow us to be content in any circumstance because we're putting you first. And when we put you first, we make you the most important thing in our lives. And if we lose everything but still have the most important thing in our life, then we've lost nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. If anybody needs prayer, we'll have a prayer team up here. If anybody wants to give their life to Christ for the first time, please come up. Have an awesome week. Know you're always loved in this place.